everybody, you're listening to Canary Cry Radio, and my name is Basil. And this is Gans. Welcome to another episode. Yes, yes. Episode 122. That's right. Whoa, that means we're almost episode 123. <laughs> wow, that's so profound. That'll be cool. Succession of numbers. <laughs> it's just the numbers in a row, you know? Uh, anyways, we got a great interview here with L.A. Marzuli. We talk about uh, something I think we've mentioned on... A couple of shows, maybe Canary Cry News Talk, we definitely reported on this phenomenon. It's the Fatima phenomenon. And some of you may know what we're talking about. Some others may not, but you're about to get a uh, wonderful crash course in the history of that phenomenon and what it means for the future with L.A. Marzuli, a wonderful friend of the show who has recently produced a film about it a volume one and there will be more but uh i think you guys are in for a treat yeah you know it's good to catch up with la he's still chugging along doing the research just keeps going still at it man just working yep. working so hard uh so good i hope you guys enjoy as far as housekeeping I just want to thank everybody for uh, leaving ratings and reviews on iTunes. If you haven't done that yet, you could be totally, totally give us a nice little present for our episode one, two, three coming up and go leave a rating and a review. And uh, there you go. And keep it. I know we, we kind of teased it last episode, but we've got some cool stuff coming up. We're just waiting for some things to be confirmed so we can announce it for everybody. Um, so keep your ears open for that and uh, go like the Facebook page because we're definitely going to announce it there um all right anything else guns before we jump in actually yeah so if you visit canarycryradio.com and click on the most recent episode page that's 122 there's a special link there that says watch fatima film and if you click on that it goes directly to a preview page of the fatima documentary that ellie talks about in this episode and if you decide to purchase the full-length film through that link it's called an affiliate link L.A. gives us a little kickback, and now instead of just supporting L.A. and his fantastic work, you support us as well in the process. So just an option for anyone who's interested in checking that stuff out. That's it. Let's go, Basil. Okay, here we go. As many as 70,000 people came to the COVID day run on October 13th, a cold rain had been falling throughout the previous night and into that day. Everyone there was soaking wet, and the ground was very muddy. Some people were standing in mud up to their ankles. Our Lady appeared, and this is what she said to the children. I want you to have them go to chapel here in my honor. I, as the Lady of the Virgin, continue always to pray the Virgin every day. I have come to warn the faithful to amend their lives. Plunging towards the earth. It looked as if it was the end of the world. 
So the people fell on their knees in the mud and cried to God for mercy. Suddenly, the sun finally stopped falling and went back up into the sky to its regular place. Then the people got up from their knees, and they all began to notice that their clothes were dry. And the ground was not muddy either, but dry. Not only that, but many sick persons were cured that day. You're listening to Canary Cry Radio. Hey everybody, and welcome to Canary Cry Radio. My name's Basil. And this is Gans. Welcome to episode number 122. 122. 122. On October 13th, 1917, a large crowd gathered near Fatima, Portugal in response to a prophecy made by three local shepherd children who claimed that the Virgin Mary, otherwise known as Our Lady Fatima, would appear and perform miracles on that date. What was witnessed by the crowds is nothing short of supernatural. Claims of the sun dancing in the sky, spinning, emitting radiant colors, and it was reported that it lasted about 10 minutes. Exactly 13 years later, on the 13th of October 1930, Bishop Jose da Silva declared the event as miracle worthy of belief. Nearly 100 years later, an investigative reporter, a fellow brethren, L.A. Marzulli, visited Fatima to do his own investigation, his own research, and we're happy to have him back. L.A., you're back on Canary Cry Radio, buddy. How you doing? Uh, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yahoo! Yeah, you've. I gotta say, uh, you. I think you were on one of the the earliest episodes, the eleventh episode. Then you came in a little while later, fifty eight, and you jumped in at episode one hundred. And we, we here we go. We just keep going. We just keep going. You just keep popping up. Congrats, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you very much. Um, yeah, so, you know, it, this is an interesting uh, phenomenon, uh, the Fatima phenomenon, and we've it's popped up quite a bit over the years, and now, uh, I gotta say, the 100 years uh, anniversary just kind of snuck up on me. What are people well, saying about it? Well, you know, right now, it's sort of under the radar, uh, which is sort of curious. I know in May of this year, uh, it made sort of a big splash. We got there in July um, in, into Fatima. We spent two weeks in Portugal. And it was just it just constantly just a whirlwind tour. We interviewed many different people from all different disciplines, uh, neuroscientists, historians, philosophers, um, authors, researchers. The people that we met and talked to, all of them basically were PhDs with the exception of one person. So you know, the level of education um, was way up there, obviously. And uh, these people have spent a lot of time <clears throat> researching uh, the events of Fatima. And I've, you know, I, I wrote about this in Politics, Prophecy, and the Supernatural, uh, which was published in 1997. So that research, you know, goes back for me 10 to 12 years easily. I've always been sort of drawn to the events of Fatima, even as a young child, you know, the black and white films that were out or the, the early the early films about Fatima, um, uh, showing the miraculous, stating that it was the Virgin Mary that appeared to these three children. So the backstory is this. It's 100 years ago, 1917. Portugal is a very small uh, country. It's, it's uh, not heavily populated. Even today, it's only got 10 million people in the entire country. So, you know, 1917, it's less. World War I is raging. The Bolshevik Revolution is, is um, uh, coming to the fore. Um, the, the, the czar is about to get booted out. 
and the rest of rest is history. Seventy years of of gulags with as many as 80, 80 million people uh, killed by the Soviet Union, their own people, eighty million people thrown into the gulag system and annihilated. So that is the backdrop to what happens 100 years ago. It's a very, very complex issue. The communist revolution was happening not only in Russia, but it was going all across Europe. Um, and later on, and I'll just, a little, a little sidebar here, this is what, what Hitler rose to power after World War I. Um, it was always targeting two, two elements, the Bolsheviks or the communists and the Jews. He was always playing on those two. So people, people, all they have to do is look at Russia and and realize, or this, you know, Soviet Socialist Republic of of you know, communists, basically USSR, which is no longer, uh, it's basically collapsed of its own weight. All they have to do is look at that when Hitler was rising to power and go, well, we don't want that because uh, you know they, they they saw they knew about the gulags, they knew about the purges and 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 everything that went with it. So, but that was the climate in 1917. Also, World War I was raging. Um, this was modern-day warfare, where the airplane, for the first time in history, was being used as a weapon, albeit sort of primitive compared to what we have now. But they were airplanes were were being used. Also, in Portugal, there were no airplanes at the time, 1917. There were perhaps a few, but not many maybe one or two, and only in Lisbon. So most people had never seen an aircraft. That's the first thing. The second thing is, out in the Cova of Irene, Cova de Aira, um, in, in the Portuguese, which is later became Fatima, uh, basically it's, it's very rural, shepherds, farmers, uh, people were living the way they have for hundreds and hundreds of years. There, there are automobiles, but not many. Uh, the peasants are unlearned. Uh, you know, they're just they're they're just unlearned. I mean, they just have no education. Many of them cannot read or write. So that's the backdrop for all of this. And what people need to understand too, when we got there, we began to uncover some of the history of Portugal. There are hundreds, hundreds of apparition sites all through Portugal. So Fatima is the one that most people know about. But there are hundreds, if not thousands, of apparition sites. Another, another factor that we discovered, there was a matriarchal society that focused on goddess worship before the Romans and the Greeks came in. So this is well before the Christian era. And what we see is that there is goddess worship that is happening all throughout Portugal, particularly one goddess, Mora, M-A-U-R-O. And she would... Um, manifest to certain men, have sex with them, and then kill them. Uh, the priests that serve her, the male priests that serve her, were all castrated. So this is the backdrop of Fatima. And when we went there, the original title of the film was Mary of the Bible or A Harbinger of Deception. And we got to Fatima. Um, it was evening around 7.30, 8 o'clock. The sun was still out because there, Portugal is uh, where Fatima is located it's it's you know a longer daylight let's say than southern california but the countryside looked remarkably like southern california i mean you could have you could have fooled me very easily it's a very modern civilization part of the eu um a thriving economy again only about 10 million people live there great roads great infrastructure food was incredible but we got to fatima 
And it's around eight o'clock at night, and it and it's the sun's just starting to go down, so the lighting is incredible. And we actually film that uh, and show some of that in the, in the film. And the sanctuary is breathtaking. Uh, the church, the Catholic Church, has spent millions of dollars creating the sanctuary. Uh, it's it's very large. Uh, it's it reminds someone perhaps of of the Vatican. I mean, it's very 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 impressive. And there's sacred music. What I mean by that, concert music, music that was written, let's say, back uh, in the Renaissance period of time. So sacred music, it, it was for the church. And that the speaker system's incredible. Uh, all throughout the sanctuary in Fatima, there's there's a, 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 a sound system, which for the most part is sort of hidden. So as you're walking through these beautiful pine trees, this, this music is there. It's it's very moving. I mean, it's very very moving. But um, you know that didn't. Why I was impressed. I'm not going to be fooled by that or lulled into some sort of a, a false sense of oh, this is a sacred place. This was all uh, the machinations and the inventions of men creating this this you know space, this um, so-called quote unquote sacred space. So when you walk in the Fatima, the music is going on. The sanctuary is absolutely huge. It can hold upwards of one million pilgrims at a time. Holy so, smokes! Yeah, it's huge. I mean, it's it's that's what I mean. Unless, and I say this over and over and over again, it's one thing to read a book, watch a DVD. It's another thing to go there, to go to Sacsayhuaman, to go to Oyotenzabo, Machu Picchu, Teotihuacan, the Great Circle Mound, all the places that I've been. And when you and Fatima, and when you get there, it's like, oh my gosh, it's just it just blows your mind because it's not what not what we expect. It never is what we expect. It never the pictures and films and and books never ever do it justice. So we're there, and you know I'm kind of looking around, and it, it's my spidey singer sensors are definitely tingling, and I'm wondering, you know, what am what am I going to do with this? And so the next day we go there, and we timed our trip to coincide with one of the apparition dates. Now, the apparition, uh, the entity that appeared to these three children, Lucia, who was 10, uh, um, Francisco, who was 9, and Jacinta, who was 7, started off in May 13th, ended off in October 13th of 1917. And by the way, Lucia, Francisco, and Jacinta, these are very young, small children, who, by the way, are completely illiterate. They are unlearned. I mean, they're just, they're illiterate. They cannot read or write. There is no school system, all right? So what they're getting is what the church, the so-called Catholic Church, is providing, uh, the parish priest, Father Figuera. But that's what these kids know. So they're not like reading books or Mark Twain or any of this stuff. I mean, they are they are ignorant, I mean, for, for lack right. of a better word. They're also very, very young. Think of a 10-year-old that you might know. Think of a 7-year-old. A nine-year-old. These are very young, young children. And what most people don't know, because they've never done any research at all, that this this was actually going on in 1915. Other children was were contacted by this so-called apparition. We're going to get into this in, in part two of the series. There's at least two films here. One has been released. You can go to the WatchmanChronicles.com and check it out for yourself. It will be up on video demand on October 1st. But right now, the only way you can watch it is buying a DVD. And we thank you for your patronage. So the bottom line is, these three children are seeing this apparition. And she never says she's Mary. Um, 
she says she comes from the sky. But as I was stating, we timed our trip to come back or to be there in Fatima on July 13th. And the re that was a, an anniversary day. Remember, it's, it's from May 13th, June 13th, July, all the way up to October 13th. Always on the 13th of the month, always at noon, usually, when the sun is you know at its zenith. And it, it's for like six consecutive months. And there's a whole deal, which I don't, won't get into, because this is in the second, second film. But the bottom line is, we get there on July 13th. And it's right around 11 o'clock, uh, around noon, between 11 and 12. Around, and there's like thousands of pilgrims that are there. And they are moving the statue, which is about four feet high. It's on, it's on a bed of roses, which is then hoisted up by four men who carry it on their shoulders. So it's above the crowd. And the thousands of people who are there are waving handkerchiefs at this statue. And the music is playing, and there's a live choir. I mean, it's very, very impressive. But of course, I would have, I'm not going to get sucked into to this whole thing. And I'm looking at my wife. We're filming all of this. And by the way, when you go to places like this, you can't have a big camera. You got, you got to look like a tourist. So I had this small A6300 Sony camera, which is completely nondescript, but shoots in 4K. We'll stick a little microphone on that baby, and it looks like I've got you know a $40,000 rig in post. You can't tell. Anyway, I digress for all you camera bucks <laughs> out there. Because if you go in with a larger camera, boom, you get slapped down immediately. What are you doing here? You can't do that. No filming. Do you have a permit? So you go in with like a little tourist camera. Eh, nobody cares. So the other thing is a little Osmo. Nobody, no, Most people don't know what that is. You get away. Anyway, but I'm, I'm, I'm getting off the subject. The bottom line is that as I'm looking at this, I turn to Peggy, my wifey, and I go, we are going to take Mary off the table. We we can't disparage what these people believe. In fact, in the beginning of the film, there's sort of a uh, a disclaimer, a caveat, and basically it states this: that people have a right to believe whatever they want to. Millions of pilgrims visit Fatima every year. Millions of Muslims encircle the Kaaba stone in Mecca. Millions of of Hindus celebrate Guru Puja. Millions of Buddhists worship, you know, in thousands of temples all over Asia. The purpose of the film is not to disparage anyone's belief system. People have the right to believe whatever they want to believe. And 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 that's the, the very beginning of the film. So we took Mary off the table, at least for the for the first film. We might address it um in the second film, but it will not be Catholic bashing. It's we're not going to do that. We're not going to go, well, you know, as an evangelical, we don't believe, you know, fine. We're not going to do that. We're just going to talk about the facts and what happened in Fatima. But when we saw that, I realized that, oh, my gosh, you know, these people believe a certain way. And it's completely contradictory to what we found. Let me explain. The records that we we sourced were all from 1917. And we're, we're, we're done in a handwritten interrogation uh, by Father Fiera and others who, who interviewed the witnesses, specifically Lucia, Jacinta, and, France, and, and Francisco. And Lucia, first of all, you got to know something, the three seers. Out of the three, Lucia is the only one who really communicates with her. They've, the children were given something to eat and drink. Most people don't know this. By the entity. And Lucia and Jacinta um, drank and Francisco ate. 
So Francisca could see the entity, but could not hear the entity, whereas Lucia and Jacinta could see and hear. So it gets very complex at that point, Mm. very complex. And the entity always communicated to the children telepathically. They never saw her mouth move. Lucia never, ever mentions Russia in any of the official interrogation in 1917. It's not there, guys. It's not there. And again, what what we discovered, Lucia, at remember, she's 10 when this happens. Six years later, she's taken by the Jesuits, given a vow of silence, and whisked off to a convent, where she basically spends pretty much the rest of her life as a nun. And we don't get the the Russian, you know, consecrate Russia, there's the communist angle, to the Sacred Heart of Mary until 1928. 1928. So 11 years later that, oh, now we have secrets of Fatima, which come out in 1928. So it's it's up to the viewer to decide. We're just presenting the facts. I'm not weighing in on it. I'm not going, well, there you have it. Obviously, no, we don't do that. We just present the facts. And that is a fact that Russia is never mentioned in the 1917 transcripts. Only in 1928 does all this come out. And again, we'll probably touch more of this um, because we didn't touch any of it at all in the first film. We'll explore more of this in the second film. But what puts Fatima on the map, what puts Fatima on the map, and this is why the title of the film was changed, Fatima, Miracle of the Sun or a Harbinger of Deception, was the so-called Miracle of the Sun. And this is, again, film companies in, in the 50s created films and, you know, the children dropped to their knees and, you know, Edward G. Robinson type skeptics are in the crowd going, yeah, where's the miracle now? See? I mean, that whole that <laughs> whole type of thing, right? And, and all of a sudden it's like, ah, the music comes in. I mean, it's really, it's Hollywood at its worst, right? And it's, it's, it's the lady, it's, it's the Blessed Virgin and all this stuff. Again, all this, in my opinion, is, con- is confabulation, all of it. And I'll just state this. You can go back and, and, and do your own research, the folks that are listening. When Lucia asks, is asked by the parish priest, Father Figuera, where did the lady say that she came from? Lucia says she does no name. She only says she came from the sky. That's it. That's what she says. So there's a lot of skeptics. Um, Father Fiera is very skeptical and and believes that the apparition is demonic. There's also uh, a dynamic here, which, again, we discovered. Father Fiera goes missing after pretty much after October 1917. He uh, he falls off the radar. We are attempting to track. uh, Obviously, he's deceased, but we're trying to figure out. Did he have any family? Did he write any journals? Because he just completely drops off the map as far as like any type of historical record. No Interesting. one tells. Yeah, he just drops off the map completely. And then, of course, later on, this whole thing is turned into Mary of the Bible. It's it's the revelations, the, the first and second secret, the magical third secret of Fatima. All these come 11, 15, 20 years after the original event. So... The parish priest and, and the mayor and, and, and some of the other clergy go to Lucia and the children and go, look, you got to go back and ask the lady, ask whoever this being is, to give some sort of a sign. 
so that people will believe. So Lucia does this. And she comes back saying on October 13th, there'll be a sign. Now, in May 13th, it was just the three children. By July of that same year, the crowds had swelled to 10, 20, 30,000 people. So word is getting out. The people were coming on the 13th of every month. Word gets out after the 13th of September that there's going to be some sort of a sign, miracle from this entity. Upwards of 70,000 people are gathered in the field at Fatima on October 13, 1917. And they are awaiting something. They're expectant. And it's a cross-section of humanity. But there are educated people there. There are doctors and lawyers and dentists and, and you know, clergy, people who are men, and, men of letters, per se, um, and also some women. But for the most part, the crowd... And the masses who are there are, are, are unschooled, um, not learned in any way. And this is this is what makes up the 70,000 people. It's been raining all night. So we have pictures and we show those pictures. It's just a sea of umbrellas as far as the eye can see. And all these oh, they have pictures from the actual event. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Not many of them because there were probably two to three cameramen in the field that day, and these are the old wooden box cameras that we see, wooden box cameras with glass plates. So you have to put the glass plate in, everybody's got to be real still, and it takes several minutes. It's not like we have today with the iPhone, click, click, click. It's not that way at all. So there are a series of photographs, but not many. There's pictures before and after and during, but nothing. There's one photograph of the so-called sun but the sun was in the corner of the glass plate. And as we interviewed Raul Berenguel uh, in the film, who is very adamant about this, that over the handling of the plates for the last hundred years, the, the, the plate that showed the sun is no longer there. The sun has, has been, been removed from handling. And, mm -hmm. and, and, and Joaquin Fernandez, who uh, really is, is the lead investigator on this, written several books with Fina de Armada, who uncovered all this, Back in the in 1978, um, sort of looks at the camera and laughs and says, "It's natural. It was an accident. It's natural." So we'll never know. Um, and Life Magazine, by the way, published years afterwards phony photographs of the so-called miracle of the sun. But I'm getting ahead of myself. So 70,000 people are gathered in the field, awaiting a miracle. And the apparition is supposed to show there at noon. It's late. It's now one o'clock. All of a sudden, it stops raining. People are, you know, rejoicing in that. It stopped raining. The clouds part, and there is the sun. But people are still waiting for some sort of uh, the, the miracle. Then another cloud comes in front of the sun. Another cloud comes in front of the sun, and out of this cloud comes a metallic object. And we've got witness after witness state what they saw. I saw a shining orb. I saw a silver orb. I saw a dull silver disc. This thing comes out and begins to spin. And as it's spinning, it's throwing colors over the crowd. And it spins and then falls like a leaf and then goes back up again. It does this three times before it does what is called what we now call a flyby. This object flies about 100 feet over the heads of the crowd. And when it does this, 
all sorts of phenomena happen. People start hearing a buzzing like bees in their ears. People experience skin burns. Their clothes are instantly dry. Windshields are shattered in the automobiles. Hoods of the automobiles fly open and the engines spontaneous comb spontaneously combust. So something is going on here. And witness after witness, dull silver disc. I saw what looked like a silver plate. I mean, just think about what they're saying. And in 1917, there, there's no verbiage for in the lexicon for UFO or flying saucer. Those terms would not be invented for another 40 years. Wouldn't be to the late 40s, early 50s, where we actually started using UFO flying saucer. Kenneth Arnold was the one who, who called them, they look like saucers skipping flying saucers. So here we've got one of the witnesses. I saw a, a silver plate. I mean, it's incredible. A dull silver disc, a metallic orb. It's not the sun. If the sun is the size of a watermelon and the earth is the size of a head of a match, the sun did not leave its place in the solar system and descend to Earth. That's not what happened here. So I that mean, was one of the original descriptions was that the sun was doing all this, this dancing was, around. Look, there was there was uh, let me just skip to, to make my point here. In 1967 in, in Point Pleasant, West Virginia, an entity appeared to hundreds of people and it had wings. And when people encountered this thing, it was very, very malevolent, extremely malevolent. And the newspaper people who were um, um, covering this story at the time, the Batman series was really big on TV. So the newspaper reporter goes, well, I'll just call the thing Mothman. That's a misnomer. But the name stuck. And so when you say Mothman, most people know what you're talking about. But we don't know what that entity called itself or what it really was. In my opinion, and the opinion of people I witnessed or I interviewed, the eyewitnesses who actually encountered this thing, it was a fallen angel. That's what they, that's dark wings. That's what they encountered, a fallen angel, something that was incredibly wicked, incredibly wicked and in a fixed state. So the idea of the miracle of a sun, again, was a misnomer. The newspaper reporter in Oseculo, the century, that's how that's the main newspaper in Lisbon, is still in existence, by the way. Um, the day after, I published the report, Miracle of the Sun. They didn't know what else to call it. But it mm. was not the sun. See how, see how these things go? It was not the sun that fell to Earth. It was something else. And the whole, the whole film, the first part of the film, deals with the miracle of the sun. Because the miracle of the sun, so-called miracle of the sun, is what puts Fatima on the map. Without it, Fatima doesn't exist as we know it today. It's just another apparition site of hundreds of apparition sites. We visited two other apparition sites while we were there. One of them happened the day before the Fatima event. Go figure. And, 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 and another thing, let me close by saying this. Again, we interviewed um, a psychic, not one of my favorite things to do, but we interviewed a psychic in Portugal who heads up what is what is known as a spiritualist society. And in 1917, these these spiritualists were meeting regularly and trying to get messages from, quote unquote, the other side. And they used a technique, which we know now is an occult technique known as automatic writing. Mm. Okay, and the automatic writing read right from left, right from left, 
So it's backwards, right from left. And just like Leonardo da Vinci, and can only be seen when you hold it up to a mirror. And, and the, the entity, through the automatic writing, was stating this, that something miraculous was going to happen in Portugal. In Portugal. And they published it. They published it in the paper. And so, I mean, we've got the psychics who were saying that something miraculous would be happening in Portugal. And so the day before the apparition occurred on, on, our, on May 13th, they published this in the paper. I mean, it's, it's just uncanny. And the entity signed its name, Stella Matutina, the bright morning star. Guess who? Mm, wow. All that's in the film. Holy smokes. What you're saying is that this event, you know, surrounding the miracle of the sun, the event itself and the eyewitness accounts really seems to allude to something more akin to a UFO sighting, a very powerful one, because if, you know, this thing was hovering a hundred feet above and, and, you know, healing people and drying clothes and smashing windows and stuff like that, that's, that's pretty, uh, that's a pretty visible thing. 70,000 people, whole town witnessing this event. And then what it seems like happened was just a whole slew of propaganda to, you know, maybe cover their tracks or maybe uh, create the narrative to make, you know, make it a miracle, make it a whatever. And then, you know, the secrets of Fatima come out later on to try to politicize certain things. So that part of it is all kind of familiar to everything going on now with all of us, you know, we're kind of like, okay, well, things and things and events get used for political reasons and for, you know, authoritative reasons and whatnot. The whole concept, the thing that blows me away is that, and I guess most people don't consider it, is the fact that they actually saw, like, literally a flying saucer. That's what they're describing. And, you know, it's just alarming to me that there are people, even today, you know, that write books about it who are trying to debunk what happened. Um, there's one about, oh, it was just a, it was just a rainbow. There, there's some uh, atmospheric thing happening with the cloud, and, you know, you could see right. a rainbow, and maybe that's what they saw. Um, but you know, if you have 70,000 people witnessing something, it's a little bit, it's kind of hard to deny that, that it was a little bit more than just a swamp gas. It was not swamp gas. It was not swamp gas or a weather balloon. It, nothing like that. Um, people talked about seeing a dull silver disc, um, upwards of 6% of the witnesses who come on the record use the word disc, actually use the word disc. Some call it an orb, a disc. I mean, there's different names because there's nothing in the lexicon. You know, right. people have never seen it. Most of these people have never seen an airplane, for crying out loud. So, yeah. I mean, it's it's like stretching paradigms in ways that have never been stretched before. Uh, and people are trying to grow, uh, cope with something that they've seen and, 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 and put it in a, a way that they can somehow relate to it. The reason why I call the film a harbinger of deception um, there's some other things that are going on in 1917. Not only you've got the Bolshevik Revolution happening, but you've got the Balfour Declaration, which was happening in 1917, which would, you know, provide a homeland for the Jews, which sets up the, the whole modern era, uh, which we get into Zionism, the idea of Jerusalem being the eternal capital of Israel, uh, which fulfills the prophecy of, in the latter days, I will bring my people back from the four corners of the earth and reestablish them in their ancient homeland, never again to be removed. Um, and for many of us who travel in 
the biblical prophetic narrative. This is extremely telling because 1917 is the year that this this Balfour Declaration goes forth. So you got to remember that there are there are we are in a cosmic war. And we're also told in the biblical prophetic narrative that Satan comes with all signs and lying wonders. We know that. So is it possible, here's a scenario, is it possible that the enemy is, is keeping his, his hands, as it were, on the prophetic pulse? He's been defeated at the cross. He knows that. He knows at some point in time, because he's read scripture, he knows what's going to happen. He knows that he's going to lose eventually, but he's trying to somehow pull victory from the flames of defeat. That's what he's trying to do. He also knows, and I've written about this in my book, The Cosmic Chess Match, once the signal goes out that the Balfour Declaration, that the Jews are going to have a homeland, he raises up an antichrist figure, in my opinion, Adolf Hitler. And what does Hitler do? Who is Hitler focused on? He's focused on the Jews. And from that, we have the Holocaust. But where six million Jews perish, and it's possibly a lot more, and the reason for that is the numbers are fudged. Entire towns were annihilated, and there's no record of it. So I believe it's actually more than six million. Auschwitz alone uh, did well over a million people. So it's it was horrific, absolutely barbaric beyond anything. And for those of you who have never studied the Holocaust, you need to do some research um, and, and don't eat a full meal before you start watching any videos because it's gut-wrenching stuff. The idea that that men can do this to other other men and women is just beyond the pale. But the Holocaust happens, and out of the ashes of the Holocaust comes the rebirth of the nation of Israel. Is it possible that the fallen one sees what's going on and begins his campaigns of false signs and lying wonders? Uh, and that's why I call it a harbinger of deception. And this is a very long involved conversation. It gets into the biblical prophetic narrative. It gets into the words of Jesus who tell us that, you know, don't be deceived. Many will come in my name. Men faint from fear from what is coming upon the earth. Is that planet X? Is it uh, a mile wide UFO? You know, we've been hearing about planet X now for since 2012. That's five years ago. And I get emails. Oh, here it is. LA. It's a sun dog. You know, that's all it is. It's a sun dog <laughs> or a flare. It, there is no planet X. We would have seen it by now. And the people who keep telling us it's Planet X, it's Planet X, they put they push the date further and further back. I mean, fool me once, I get it. But I'm not I'm not biting on this again, guys. I know about it. It's on the back burner. I'm not dismissing it entirely. But I think <laughs> I think what it is, what I think Jesus is talking about, men faint from fear from what is coming upon the earth, is the whole UFO phenomena. Because the cat and mouse game, which has been going on for decades, continues to the present moment. And we know that, and this is from a Fox News report, which I, I use and show in my presentations, UFO sightings are at an all-time high. What are we to make of this? What are we to do with information? Fox News! This isn't, you know, coast to coast. By the way, I'll be on that this month, talking about Fatima. But this is Fox News. You know, bastard of Republican thinking. But it, it's true. <laughs> I mean, it's just conservative thought. And it's like, UFO sightings are at an all-time high. And they live all the stats, and, you know, they show a couple of goofy clips and whatever. But it's this is called soft disclosure. Can you imagine if two or three mile-wide craft appear somewhere on this planet? I mean, it's a game changer. Everything changes. The media goes bonkers, ballistic. It's UFO, 
24-7-365. What are they here? What do they want? And they will tell us that they created all life on this planet, that they manipulated early man, started the earliest world's, the world's earliest civilization, started the world's religions. Now it's its critical juncture in human history. They, ET, are back to usher mankind into a golden age. And I've written about this extensively and talked about it ad nauseum practically, but I, th I call it the coming great deception, and I believe it's coming. I believe we're closer now than ever before. Right, right. And then you throw in all the signs. You know, it's funny how people, the whole September 23rd thing, and I wrote about this, and I, I sat in Scotty Clark's presentation. It was very compelling. And I had dinner with Scotty, took him out to dinner. Great guy, great guy. Some marvelous research he's done. But, you know, and he never really, with all due respect to Scotty, he never said that this is the day. Although he sort of alluded to it in, in numerous ways, but he never outright stated it. The presentation is is remarkable. What's happened in the month of September is we've got two devastating hurricanes, um, and a third hit Puerto Rico, which basically wiped the island out. The Western United States are in are are just um, there's fires everywhere. Largest fire in Los Angeles's history. It's a meteor blackout for the most part. They're not talking about the fires. You've got Rocket Man wanting it to nuke the world. I mean, what you know, we need a regime change there. And by the way, I was told by a guy from a deep state in March that the next war would be with North Korea. So the Middle East continues to just spin out of control. Um, all the saber rattling there with the Iranians. I mean, the world is in a real crazy, crazy place. This does tie into the Matthew four, Matthew 24 prophetic narrative, which states that wars and rumors of wars, famines, earthquakes in diverse places, troublesome times. That's what we're seeing. You know, look at the earthquakes in Mexico. And another Templar happened in Mexico and New Zealand and Japan right off Fukushima. Los Angeles is overdue. And I predict, and I'm not a prophet, that you know we we might get a, a, a nasty a, a nasty tumbler sooner than later, and I really hope I'm wrong here. I really hope I'm wrong, but we've been dodging a bullet for years, and we haven't had it. We're long overdue. Then you got the whole thing with Yellowstone. You got people who are telling you, ah, don't worry about it. nothing's ever going to happen to Yellowstone. But meanwhile, the quakes there are through the roof. So all that to say, this are these the birth pains? Absolutely, they're the birth pains. We are in the birth pains which lead up to the birth of the tribulation. And of course, I don't believe the church is here for that. It's the time of Jacob's trouble, not Bob, Fred, and, and Alice. So there you go. <laughs> you know, I uh, just take a step back real quick, go back to uh, Fatima. You know, I find it fascinating, the Roman Catholic Church's response to th these three children seeing, so, I mean, first of all, the fact that uh, the world and the church would take so seriously the cl the claims of three children. Uh, I believe they were sh shepherds or something. If uh, yes, they were shepherds. Yeah, they were shepherd they were children. Shepherds. Yeah, who ran in from the fields and claimed to see this thing and this lady talking, and it's kind of mind blowing to me to think that. The church grabbed onto it, and everybody grabbed onto it immediately, and turned it into such a big event. Now, obviously, there, there were uh, resulting events that happened over and over. Um, 
So the children's claims were verified in that way. But what do you see specifically as the church's role, the importance of this uh, event to the church, and how it's been used in the past hundred years? Uh, and I don't know, maybe uh, I guess it was just a good uh, spin on the situation or something. Well, here, this is the timeline. This is from... It's called Fatima Network Essentials. These are this is done by believers, okay? And it talks about the visions and secrets. Um, and I'd like to talk a little bit more about the secrets. We've mentioned okay. it a few times, but for people who aren't uh, familiar with the Fatima phenom- phenomenon, it might be an important point to explain. Well, get this: in the summer of 1929, while residing in a convent in Spain. Uh, Sister Lucia had another vision. This time, Our Lady returned as she had promised at Fatima to ask for the consecration of Russia to her Immaculate Heart. So this apparition was followed by a visit. So this this is my point. She's been hustled away to a convent, and now the secrets begin um, in, in the summer of 1929. So, I mean, it's not—it just doesn't fly. I yeah, mean, this was uh, what— mm. 11, 12 years later, after Correct. the initial event. Exactly, exactly. And she's the only surviving um, seer of the apparitions. And she was taken at 16, given a vow of silence, and hustled off to a convent. I mean, if that doesn't, any fair minded person has to just go, wait a minute, that just doesn't sound like a good thing here. It sounds like someone is managing the agenda. And in my opinion, yeah. Someone is managing the agenda, and it, it and this is where we get the the consecration of Russia to my Sacred Heart. Why is that there? Again, in my opinion, the Bolshevik Revolution is sweeping all throughout Russia, Europe. The Bolsheviks take control. The Gulags are in place. The Tsar and his family are shot. Um, other countries are turning communist, uh, and so. This is a confabulation, in my opinion. So the Catholic Church had an uh, what what had an agenda to fight against the communism happening at the that's, time in the world. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. Now, uh, well, that's very fascinating, and I don't think very surprising. Um, now, as uh, as the years go on. Weren't there more secrets that were supposed to come out? And I know that Lucia, wasn't she just not confirmed as a saint, but they started her saintly process, her the saintly bureaucracy to, to uh, re- recognize her as a saint? Well, the, the two children who died within two years after the apparition, um, Francisco and Jacinta, Jacinta wasn't even nine years old when, when she passed away. And then... Same thing with Francisco. We actually visited their homes. They're now tourist attractions, and they look pretty much the way they looked 100 years ago. Uh, So it says here that um, Lucia and her cousins revealed nothing of a July 13th secret, abiding by Our Lady's instruction to keep her message secret. Vatican officials were initially dubious about the authenticity of these visions, as they must be in cases of this kind. However, the evident sincerity of the children, as well as their deep piety and devotion, eventually persuaded the authorities to take the issue seriously and investigate further. And it just, I mean, again, this is like, so there was a secret, but the only one who knows the secret is Lucia. 
the other two children are dead. So she's the only one. And then it's not until 1928, 1929, when she starts to uh, to write the actual secret. The third and fourth secret, or 1941, is when the third secret is actually, I'll, I'll read it to you, only the last part of a secret, the so-called third secret, remained undisclosed. A few years later, again, at the instigation of her bishop, uh, Sister Lucia reluctantly wrote the content of the third secret on a sheet of paper, sealed it in an envelope. So, you know, this, this comes decades later after the events of 1917. In 1917, Lucia never mentions Russia. It's not there in the official documents or the interrogation. None of the children ever mention that. All this comes after she's taken, cloistered, given a gag order, a vow of silence. It's a gag order. And later on, 11 years after the fact, you know, she, she, she goes and writes, writes down the first two secrets. So people have to make up their own mind um, what they're going to do with this. And in my opinion, it's extra biblical, number one. Number two, it's at best suspect, because if this secret was so important, why wasn't it revealed much earlier? And then why, why is it suddenly okay to reveal it in, in, in 1928? And why is it that, you know, consecrate to my sacred heart? And as an evangelical, with all due respect to the Mary of the Bible, Mary does not have a sacred heart. She is a sinner saved by grace, like all of us. And this is, see, this is where you can get into this, you know, Catholic evangelical tug of war. And that's why I take it right off the table, because all it does is create uh, animus between, between the two. But as an evangelical, in my opinion, Mary is not sinless. She is not sitting, she's not the queen of heaven at all these, you know, titles and that the Catholic Church giver, I think, are, are very extremely misleading and, frankly, are dangerous. Um, and the reason for this is it was Jesus who died on the cross for our sins and gave his blood, who was sinless. And even Mary says, you know, my soul magnifies the Lord. Uh, there you go. Um, yeah. The Spirit rejoices in my Savior. Yeah. She's the handmaiden. She's, she's unworthy. All this is like confabulation hundreds of years after the and, and this is again in the if in the book of Acts she's mentioned and then after that she fades completely from the story. Uh, I believe that Luke's gospel, Luke went to her and got some of the backstory which he wrote about in, in his gospel. But that's years later, and certainly after after the days of Pentecost, Mary, you know, fades from the Bible. I mean, think about this. How do we know? Uh, where, where does this story come from? How do we know that? And obviously, Mary told it to several people, but definitely Luke, in my opinion, because it's in the Luke Luke Gospel when she goes and presents Jesus with Joseph in the temple. Anna is there, and 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 you know they're praying, and they've been told visions. You will not depart until you see, you know, the Blessed One, the Messiah. And then the prophecy comes: a sword will pierce your heart. Well, where does that come from? Why is it in the Gospel? Because Mary, in my opinion, is telling Luke exactly what happened in sort of a very, you know, tell-all uh, interview that she, that Luke sits down with her at some point and gets the information from the horse's mouth, as it were. So, you know, the Magnificat, all that, you know, she's a handmaiden of the Lord. She never, never identifies as the Queen of Heaven. So all this, again, is conjecture um, and 
confabulation over the centuries. And, um, you know, it, it gets it gets really weird. Yeah. Yeah. You know, considering the the time there in Portugal and the uh, got the far flung goddess worship and things like that. I'm curious to hear sort of an in-depth explanation as to what you think the entity might actually have been. Um, you know, uh, we, we know that there is a UFO sighting, but right. you know, all the telepathic stuff is there certainly was a, a specific entity, uh, in control of that phenomenon. I sat down with Derek Gilbert, who's done extensive research, uh, to the backdrop of, of ancient Middle Eastern cultures and, and the goddess worship that was prevalent throughout those cultures. Uh, there's a word that I was taught by my good friend Russ Dizdar, and it's this metis, and it's this metiscus modesti. And what we what we read that we read it in Ephesians six. We we're, our weapons are not uh, are carnal. We do not fight against flesh and blood. We fight against wickedness in high places, cosmocrators, um, archons. These are the Greek terms, and these entities, these fallen angels we know from the Bible, have the ability to basically transmogrify into anything that they want to. The fallen angel is obsessed with the female form. There are no female angels, but the fallen ones are obsessed with the female form, and they have the ability to present themselves in whatever, however they want to. And it is my opinion that they appear as gods and goddesses all throughout antiquity. And they, again, when you look at Diana, uh, Diana of Ephesus, Diana of the Ephesians, who, by the way, Paul goes up against, Diana is pictured with multiple breasts, number one. But she's also pictured as a huntress wearing a short skirt, number two. She's also depicted with normal breasts, and underneath the breasts are a series of testicles. So now she's like this, this weird, hermaphroditic, transgendered thing, entity. And what most people don't realize is that these principalities have never been deposed. When I got to Fatima, I was hit with such visceral warfare unlike anything I've ever experienced. And I've experienced a lot of nonsense from the enemy, but nothing like this. I'm, I'm, I mean, nothing. It was visceral at two o'clock in the morning. And I'm in a fetal position laying in the bed going, and the thoughts that are coming into my head, I'm being bombarded. I mean, I'm just, I'm, I'm, something is rattling my cage and the Lord's allowing it. Like Paul talks about being buffeted by Satan. Who wants to go through that, right? And I'm praying and go, you know, Lord, I, I got to get out of here. I can't take this. And I felt him say, felt the Holy Spirit say, trust the process. That's all I got. And at 2 a.m., that's not what you want to hear. Trust the process. <laughs> the next day, I'm interviewing a, a man who was a uh, historian, philosopher. And I said, I departed from my mental script and said, what was here before the Christian era? before the Greeks and the Roman. And he told me that entire Portugal was steeped in a matriarchal society that focused on goddess worship. 
and my jaw hit the table. My jaw hit the table. Because what we are looking at are fallen angels posing as the sacred feminine. Again, they are obsessed with the female form. And so this entity called Mora, M-A-U-R-A, was a seductress. And she would appear to the men, have sex with them, and then kill them. So that's what we discovered in Portugal. And it was a real eye-opener. Because in my opinion, that entity has never been deposed. Yeah, and it seems like maybe it's creeping into, uh, well, has been creeping up uh, into the Northern Americas, you know, in the recent years with the whole issue of transgenderism and everything. One of the things that you mentioned um, that I found really interesting was that the the three shepherd girls, one was was given food or something, ate something, and then the other two drank something. And it just... Yeah, the um, Lucia and... Uh, Jacinta, the two the two girls um, were given something to drink. Now I might I might have it reversed. And then Francisco, the boy, um, was given something to eat. And so he saw the entity, but never heard it. Whereas Lucia and Jacinta heard it. So you know, it's all of a sudden Jacinta is dies. So you've got Lucia. You got one witness, and the secret doesn't come out till 1928, 1929. Right. It, it reminded so, me of, of the Ezekiel mentions where, you know, right before the visions, it's right at the beginning there in Ezekiel 3, telling Ezekiel to eat the scroll, you know, right. and then the same thing with Revelation 10, uh, verses 9 and 10, where it talks about eat the scroll, it'll make your, uh, your, your mouth sweet, but your belly sour. And I don't know, it's just a very strange connection there, you know, if, if this is a deceiving spirit as you, uh, and, and I, I tend to agree that, that that's probably what this is pure counterfeit there, you know, using biblical methods, you know, to, uh, to bring about visions and whatnot. It's just a very, uh, I don't know. I found it, I found it interesting. Well, again, guys, you know, we all see through a dark, you know, a glass darkly. Paul tells us that, and I concur. It's just, we are living in, and I've, I've been actually saying this, uh, at the conferences, by the way, prophecy watchers conference, uh, is coming up on October 13th. I will be speaking in Oklahoma City and talking about Fatima. And also, that's in the main room on Friday night. But then in a smaller room, I'll be speaking, uh, I think, on Saturday. I'll be talking about UFOs. So, because um, it's all related. But if we are intellectually honest, no one, no one has any idea of where we are in the cosmos and what this is. Nobody has any idea. And what I mean by that is this. If we take the, the universe and, and make it analogous to the shape of the United States, are we in Houston, Hoboken, Los Angeles, Minneapolis? Where are we? No one knows. Nobody knows what this is or where we are in it. End the story. And yet we read very troubling scriptures in, in our Bibles that tell us that, you know, the uh, the the universe as we know it will grow old, will wear out, and God will roll it up like a scroll and create a new one. What? I mean, what? Are you kidding me? I mean, the Bible is, is beyond science fiction. It's the craziest thing you'll ever read. Because <laughs> to the natural mind, you just go, you've got that's never gonna happen. But see, we don't know what this is. Nobody knows what this really is. 
we're in it. We're here. We walk through it. We, we integrate in it. We talk. We eat. We do all these things. And yet, and this is my whole point, when the supernatural interfaces with us, it can get really bizarre. Jesus makes spitting in the mud, making mud and rubbing it on the eyes of the blind. That's crazy. That'll get you arrested if you do that today, right? You can't do stuff like that. Jesus taking a midnight stroll, or not midnight stroll, but, you know, sunset, and he goes walking out on the water. I mean, that, that's wacky. That's crazy stuff. It is. Yeah. Well, people are hungry. What do we got? Oh, a couple of loaves and fishes. No, no worries. How many? And he feeds 5,000 men, which might mean as many as 15,000 men, women, and children. So um, we look at stuff, floating axe heads, talking donkeys, virgin births, water that stands up as a heap, men that are swallowed by great whales. It's, it's the craziest thing you'll ever read in your life. I mean, it really is. And so all that to say that when we bump up against the supernatural, um, all bets are off. And that's why we have to, number one, and let me go back to Fatima. Number one, the, the, the priests and other priests are looking at this and thinking it's demonic. Okay? That's, that's their gut feeling. They think it's demonic. Is anyone out there in the field rebuking and asking questions later? More than likely not a person. Now, if, if I could transport or teleport back to 1917, the first thing I would be doing with what I know, what I've been trained in as a born-again, spirit-filled you know, believer, would be I'd be looking up at that thing going, the Lord rebuke you at the top of my lungs. That's what I'd be yelling, you know? The Lord rebuke you. Rebuke yeah. first, ask questions later. No one's doing that. They're all going, oh, wow, look at this. There's a, a clip I show uh, that happened in 2009 outside a Coptic church um, in, in Egypt. And it shows this apparition, which is manifesting over the Copper, uh, Coptic church. And it's just a ball of light with this little like blue thing on the side, which kind of looks feminine. But I mean, it's a, it's a ball of light. And next to it is a smaller ball of light. And behind it is another ball of light. And behind that is a fourth ball of light. So immediately it's Mary and Jesus and Joseph and the, and the angel Gabriel. What? <laughs> how, how do you get that? I mean, it's like no one's rebuking it. And this is 2009. The Muslims and the Christians are all out in the courtyard clapping their hands and selling falafels and, and worshiping this thing. That's my whole point. Yeah, it seems like there needs to be that supernatural intervention to really bring about that single world religion, single world government, all that stuff. And, you know, there's there's uh, prophecies like in Revelation 13 where it talks about the people will worship the dragon. And, you know, I think people have read that and thought like, okay, I don't know about like open worship of a dragon, you know, open worship of Satan. But the way things have been kind of unfolding recently, it's quite alarming how much of Satanism is actually hitting the mainstream. And there was a movie, or actually it's a story called Childhood's End, and it's an old story. Right, right. Uh, but the, the movie version of it, or the TV show version of it, they showed on sci-fi, I guess a, a year and a half or two years ago. And it was, yeah. yeah, and it was it was pretty much your scenario where, you know, you got the UFOs showing up, and, you know, it, I think in the story it sits above, uh, you know, above the, uh, the cities uh, for several years. And there's one guy who's kind of like the the mediator. He, you know, he's touted as kind of a prophet type. 
Um, and then when the alien reveals himself, he's, you know, the classical devil look with the horns and, you know, the red skin and the giant, the bat wings or whatever. And that sort of imagery of the devil and Satan uh, has become more mainstream. Interestingly enough, you know, you got the, the Gothard tunnel ceremony. And then uh, I reported last week at a, uh, at, at an Anglo or an Anglican church in England they had a uh, a fashion show that was all just total satanic imagery, like face Freemasonic stuff going on, uh, you know, pentagrams uh, drawn on people's faces, and it's just out of control. And yep. it, it's crazy. It's crazy to think that. But do you think that it's going to just continue and just get worse and worse? And, and because it seems like the world that's going to accept them and accept sort of the, you know, the, I guess, Satan, openly worship Satan it's going to have to, you know, come at this uh, conjunction time when, when, you know, the supernatural becomes normalized to a sense. And that's, that's another angle, by the way, LA, I know you're, you've been on the hunt for the Nephilim for several years now. And I was mentioning on an episode of Canary Cry News Talk, how the word Nephilim, anytime I look it up now, and I'm trying to find like the latest stuff on it, it's all being co-opted by a show called Supernatural. It's a science fiction show or, or whatever. It's like a drama, sci-fi, whatever show. And, you know, the whole storyline is like Lucifer has a child and he's a Nephilim. And it's just ridiculous in your face, but it's a, it's a TV show. So now everybody that looks up those words and keywords and, and thinks they're talking about reality uh, are going to be seen as crazy, right? Uh, until maybe the aliens show up or something. So I don't know. Do you think this this whole satanic imagery thing is is part of uh, you know conditioning people to accept this sort of reality that might come upon us? Yeah, I actually blogged about this yesterday. The uh, the occult um, the occult theme Illuminati theme fashion show at an Anglican church in England. I mean, it just shows you how far down the rabbit hole we really are. The imagery was spectacular. Uh, what I mean by that, um, you know, it was it was the colors the the fashion, I mean, it was it was in your face, incredibly well done, well crafted, just like Katy Perry's ET video, well crafted, well thought out. Uh, the, the the creme de la creme, the top people in the industry coming together. And interestingly enough, the the fashion model who had the big devil horns was a guy, um, a transgender, you know, transgender. So all this, I'm telling you guys, this whole transgender thing is right out of hell's kitchen really is in my opinion right out of hell's kitchen and the fact that you know think about obama in the last last year of his presidency out of all the issues he could focus on he focuses on transgender bathrooms i mean whose side is he really on why is he so obsessed with this we're less than what one or two percent of the population if that and what we know from the stats that people who actually undergo the surgery oftentimes completely regret it and try to reverse it. And of course, if you're a guy, you can't reverse the surgery. I mean, that's it. Once you lose your equipment, you lose your equipment. And uh, that, that is, there was a guy, a, Catholic, a Christian guy, who has a ministry. I don't know. I can't remember his name. But, uh, you know, he lived as a woman for, I think, 8, 12 years, something like that, and regretted it and then uh, got rid of his breasts. Um, he couldn't do the plumbing downstairs that had been the surgery there is irreversible but now he he, he writes and uh, t and talks about his decision and how it was wrong 
but this whole transgender thing ties in with the dark side and the fact that um, the lead model in the fashion show is in fact transgendered should should let us know exactly where all this is coming from. Uh, we are in a period of time unlike any other in history, in my opinion. We are seeing evil being called good and good being called evil. Uh, we are seeing, if I can, this, it's all related. Where Trump is called a racist or a Nazi by people in the anti-fascist movement who have no idea what a Nazi really is. Um, has, if you ask them to define that, they can't. Um, who look at our free speech, our First Amendment rights, and no, you, you can't do that. Well, you can't have free speech, only the speech that we want. The real fascists are, in fact, the anti-fascist movement. Uh, they are stifling. Uh, the vitriol against President Trump is, I've never seen anything like it, where 92% uh, of the media articles and reporting on him is negative, no matter what he does. You have to ask yourself, why is this going on? Um, on my radio show, The Non-Acceleration Radio, I'm going to address the, the, you know, the whole kneeling thing with the NFL. I agree with Trump. These, these pampered athletes making millions of dollars for running around a stadium with a football, this is absurd, is what this is. This is at, who do these people think they are? And while there is um, egregious things done in some cases by police, in some cases, I can think of Rodney King for one, that was on video. That's not a good thing. Black on black crime is never talked about, where black on black crime is far more deadly. And they never talk about that. Why aren't they why aren't they not kneeling at the national anthem? Why aren't they why is anyone saying anything about that? And the, the charge of racism over the weekend, I watched the Black Music Awards. Well, how come I wasn't invited? Because I'm a white guy. Well, isn't that a form of racism? I mean, you, you can't have it both ways. You know, you're excluding everyone who is not black. I mean, can you imagine if we had a show and we called it, you know, white only musical awards? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Are you flipping kidding me? We all know what would happen. The white only musical awards. It's like, oh, my God, the media would have a heyday. But somehow you can have the black music awards and that's cool. That's OK. And have Michael Jackson, you know, the Jack, like whatever they are, three of the, of the Jackson five get up and do their. It's just like the mind, the mind reels. It just, I just don't get it. Yeah. So we've come a long way since uh, our first episode with you. I think it was back in 2012, maybe. And no one here imagined how kind of wild and crazy the world would be in just a few short years. It's beyond anything I could imagine. And what I, I guess what I'm trying to say is this. In the midst of all the birth pangs which are happening, on a global level, wars and rumors of wars, famines, pestilence, earthquakes, diverse places, trouble sometimes. In the midst of all that chaos, which is ongoing, you know, just think, Fukushima, where are the fuel rods? Well, we don't know, LA. They've, they've melted through the containment shell and they're on their way to Kansas. That's comforting. <laughs> in the midst of everything that we're looking at, you plug in the supernatural, you plug in the rise of, of so-called exorcism or demonic possession. Look at the shows like Ghostbusters. Look at every show that comes out in the movies or TV, which glorifies the occult, which glorifies the dead, 
which glorifies murder or killing. I mean, it's the craziest thing. I, I sit there sometimes. There's nothing to watch. What is it? 900 channels and nothing to watch. I think Sting, Sting, pen that lyric. But it's true. There's nothing to watch on TV. What am I going to watch? American Pickers? Well, there, there's, there's entertainment for you. You know, watching somebody rummage through somebody else's junk and then paying for it. Sounds, sounds like a great show to me. So, I mean, you know, what's, what's, there's nothing on. There's nothing on. And now you've got these losers in the NFL, and that's what they are, in my opinion, who are kneeling. You know, why not? <clears throat> why don't these same guys stand up and point to the murders every weekend in Chicago and the black on black crime? Not a peep. Not a peep. So it's it's duplicitous, in my opinion. And uh, we are we've crossed over a line and you can't go backwards. You can't you can't you can't fix this anymore. And I know that that sounds incredibly you know negative and but it's true, in my opinion, you can't fix this. You're not going to fix it. And we are at a point where they're now messing with the genome and the DNA and the, the transhumanists are trying to elongate, you know, um, create a longer lifespan. Um, it's it's unlike any, you know, the, the, getting back to the transgender thing. It's like, you know, transgender, we need rights for my six year old who thinks he's a girl or vice versa. Well, what about what about my kids? What about their rights? You know, Do we, and, and, and it's like, why are we teaching six year and seven year olds? this nonsense in, in California schools. Well, first of all, because it's California, and we all know the people <laughs> in California have been good partners. I mean, it's just like, you know, Arnold, may, may, we, what we need is Arnold. We need Arnold. Come back, Arnold! Because the nutcase up there wants to build railways to nowhere and, you know, tax everybody to death. So, I mean, look, there's a lot wrong with, with the planet, and the planet is seething. And my hope is this, and nothing less than Jesus Christ and righteousness his righteousness. And I long for the day where he returns, because that's the only way this thing's going to get fixed. Amen. Return of the King. For sure. And, you know, I wanted to throw at you a couple different things, uh, you know, in our remaining time, just because they're, I think they connect in, in certain ways to everything you've talked about your, your entire research career. But, you know, there's a lot of rumors coming out from Antarctica last few months or I guess the year or so we had like Joe Biden go down there and, and you know, other uh, Catholic church bishops and stuff visiting and um, you know, all the rumors and stuff about they found uh, pyramids and whatnot underneath the sure. ice. What, what's your opinion of what might be going on there and how might it affect the, uh, the overall narrative? Well, with all this stuff, I know about it, but you can't get any real information. Um, you can't, there's, there's, the, let me let me dispel a few things. First of all, Admiral Byrd's diary, eh, not so sure, which has been circulated so many times. We don't know whether Admiral Byrd wrote that. That's been on the net forever, so everybody thinks he wrote it. Uh, I'm not buying that one. Second of all, whoa, Antarctica is completely forbidden. No, it's not. In the summertime, you can fly to Antarctica. It's going to cost you about 20, 30 grand, but you can do it. You, you can fly into Antarctica in the summer and you can, you know, tour Antarctica. So uh, some of this stuff is wacky. On the other hand, we know that the Nazis had a base in Schwabenland. That's undisputed. Um, they had a base down there. We know that U-boats went missing at the end of World War II. I, I'm all down and jiggy with that. That makes, uh, th there's an 80 expression for you. But it's true. Those U-boats those went missing. 
Um, did, did Hitler escape? Absolutely. Along with Martin Borman, uh, Honey Hitler, one of my favorite shows on the History Channel last year, uh, basically Hitler escaped with Martin Borman to South America. He was seen, Borman was seen numerous times. As far as what happened to Hitler, no one really knows. Uh, it'd be interesting to find out if there was a grave uh, where he finally died. Did he escape Berlin? Absolutely. Uh, and I wrote about that in, in, the, in the Nephilim trilogy. But, but Antarctica, I hold stuff like this on the back burner and wait and watch. And, you know, to the best of my knowledge, there's a lot of stuff. A lot of people are saying stuff about it. But there's, there's no proof that I can see, that I can point to. Sure, yeah. Well, so, uh, you know, in beginning to sort of land the plane on on the Fatima uh, thing, now, obviously, you've put a lot of resources and time and uh, brain power into a lot of research and, and travel and figuring it all out there. What do you see the consequences coming in the future in relation to Fatima and perhaps the last uh, secret of Fatima or the where you see this fitting into the global story as we move forward? Well, I think a, a couple of things here. I think that's why the film is titled, you know, Miracle of the Sun or Harbinger of Deception. I think that we are looking at a harbinger of deception. I think it's a forerunner, a precursor of, of what is coming upon the earth. Um, a dry run, if you please, of what happened. And what we see is that 70,000 people, many of them in that field, their paradigms are changed forever. And we see that when things happen like this, the powers that be can manage the information. Um, it's just like, it's analogous to the Vietnam War, the Gulf of Tonkin incident. The powers that be manage the information, just like the JFK assassination. By the way, I'll be uh, offering a special JFK assassination uh, film on that probably in November around the anniversary. Uh, we went to Dallas and we filmed there. And these new films that are coming out, um, one particular part that they try to dispel the grassy knoll when they say, well, Jackie was in front, Jackie's head was right in line of fire. So if the, sh if the headshot came from a knoll, Jackie, Jackie Onassis you know, Jackie Kennedy would also have been killed. It's not true. When you look at the Zapruder film, and this is so disingenuous on their part, when you look at the Zapruder film, yes, her head is right next to him. After he's after this, after the throat shot, he comes out, he's holding his throat, and she's like next to him, side by side. But then she leans forward to look in his face. And when she does that, a second later, bam, that's when the headshot happens. So it's completely disingenuous, this new film, and I'll be addressing that in my film. But who had, uh, getting back on track, who had the means and resources to manage the agenda? You tell me. Why was it that, that the Alan Dulles, the head of the CIA, who was fired by JFK, now basically leads the Warren Commission? Are you kidding me? I mean, you know, is there a fox in the hen house? What do you think? What do you think? And, you know, the, the people of that era, of my father and mother who, you know, they believe whatever they were told. That That's the kind of mindset most Americans had. Whatever Walter Cranky said on, on, on the CBS News, that's what people believed. 
Walter Cronkite, he certainly he has no agenda. He, he's telling us to straight skinny LA. No, he's not. And you know, everything is a managed agenda. Chuck Missler. Chuck Missler says that. We live in a managed agenda. Same thing with the Twin Towers. Managed agenda. Managed yeah. agenda. Yeah, absolutely. And, and on and on it goes. And there's definitely uh, some connection between um, you know the CIA and and uh, the Vatican. Uh, you know, you can talk about Operation Gladio and other things, but um, I guess we'll have to dig into some of that at a, another time. Are there any uh, modern sort of prophecies surrounding Fatima and, you know, a, a future event or a future time when they're supposed to have maybe another apparition? Or is there something that people there are looking forward to? That's actually a great question. Um, people um, have looked at the third secret of Fatima and that that's caused a huge furor in Catholic circles, stating that the third secret was never revealed, and all this other stuff. And you know, many of the popes distanced themselves from Lucia, um, and and Pope Benedict, for instance, really distanced himself from Fatima. And and I have a quote where he actually says Fatima was for another time. So all this is extra biblical. Meanwhile, in places like Medjugorje, the seers there get so-called messages from the entity on a daily basis. I mean, you know, you look at all the biblical heroes, look at Moses or Paul. I mean, these people have a longer longer conversations with so-called deities than any biblical figure combined. It's unbelievable. And it's been going on for like 25 years at Medjugorje. So, again, I believe that these apparitions are not who they say they are. Um, and But you can't the people that believe it, believe it. And we're not here to disparage anyone's belief system. You want to believe that? Go ahead. Believe what you want to believe. I'm not going to argue it with you. You know, but I have the right to look at the events and weigh in on them. That's my free speech right, and I'm going to exercise it. Yeah, well, you know, and I got to say, especially when it comes to things like this, that there is obviously such a global attention um, paid to phenomena like this, and it's so tied in with uh, large groups of people's belief system. And obviously, there's, as you mentioned, millions of people who take pilgrimages to Fatima uh, on a yearly basis. I mean, they got to have their hopes up to see something or else it's just a nice little vacation. There's a lot, probably a lot nicer places to go on vacation. Um, although I hear Fatima's nice this time of year. Uh, well, thank you so much, L.A. Now, as far as the uh, the the movie that you're putting out, what are we looking at for a timeline for that? Well, it's out. The, the, the Fatima film is out. You can watch it. Uh, you have to get a DVD at the moment. You can go to the watchmanchronicles.com or lamarzuli.net. The watchmanchronicles.com or lamarzuli.net. And, uh, you know, by doing that, you're supporting what we do, but you're also educating yourself. Um, it's an hour long, a little over an hour long, and it's got some great information in it. We're working on the second part of the film and uh, part two, and that will be out hopefully in November sometime. Great. And, you know, I, I find it 
actually very important to educate yourself on this sort of stuff because as with a lot of things that we talk about on this show and that you write about, uh, you know, it's really important to know the history of events like this because when something comes up again, which inevitably there will be another uh, encounter of some kind, we're going to want to know how they've operated in the past, how the situation gets handled and managed, like you said, uh, so we can start to recognize you know, and not be fooled by the official story as it comes out. I agree, and that's exactly that's exactly what we try to do. Um, we present the facts as we uncover them in the film. I think we're more than fair. We're not bashing anybody's belief system, but we're uncovering and focusing on the events of Fatima, October thirteenth, nineteen seventeen, the anniversary of that's coming up just in a few days. And it, it's gonna it's gonna be everywhere. I mean, guaranteed. It'll, it'll be a big a big to do on, on some level. Um, and you know, I just felt that it was. I felt really directed by the Lord to make the film. We were in the process of making another film, and the Lord redirected my steps and gave me one word, Fatima. And that's when I realized, oh my gosh, it's the hundredth year anniversary. And I went in and, and said, looked at my wife and said, we're going to Portugal. And she said, what? And so we did, and and the rest is history, and here we are. Amen. Well, thank you so much for all the work that you that you do and that you've done. And I encourage everybody to go out, check out the film, and uh, get 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 your head knowledge going. All right, LA, thank you so much for being on the show, pal. Thanks, LA. Thank you guys. God bless you both. Appreciate it. All right. We'll talk to you again when the next volume comes out. But until then, thank you. <laughs> All right. Take it easy, buddy. Well, there you have it, folks. The the wonderful and splendid uh, L.A. Marzuli. Just a wealth of information. I mean, you get, you wind that guy up, he'll 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 fill your mind with all sorts of information you you never knew. It's interesting how he doesn't want to go into certain areas of discussion to avoid, uh, you know, insulting anyone or or you know causing yeah. strife, which is. Uh, it's good to see. I know he's been hostile against certain views and certain interpretations, and it's always like that in this kind of crazy niche we're in. But yeah. you know, it's kind of nice to, that he's taking an approach that's much needed in this time here. Yeah, we're, we've all been there, and yeah, especially nowadays, it's more important that we uh, try to find things that we have in common instead of separating ourselves from other people. We all have the right to believe what we want, and uh, you know, LA's no exception. Neither, neither am I. I'm not an exception. Gons, are you an exception? Yes. Yes. I would, I, I would Gons, like you have to, no right to I have, think what you think. Well, well, I would like to actually control what others yes. think. That's that's my thing. So. Right. Well, that's what we're here for, to control the <laughs> thoughts and minds of others. Um, <laughs> all right, guys. I just want to give everybody a reminder. Canary Cry News Talk still chugging away every week. And uh, we did a little poll the other day about if we should combine the streams or not. Uh, it, well, more I specifically, think- to bring the Canary Cry News Talk stream into this stream. Yes. This, this feed. Yes, and just to clarify, nobody has to fear. Canary Cry Radio will not change, and Canary Cry News Talk will not change. It's just a way to get it all into one feed, so it's a lot easier for people to find and for people to share. And for those of you who haven't checked out Canary Cry News Talk yet, I get it. I get it. There's a lot of news. you got a lot of other places to get your news, but Canary Cry News Talk is a little bit different. It's got your guns and basil 
spin on things and a lot of stories that you probably haven't heard. We don't like to touch that mainstream media news cycle anyways. Even so if we, you're, Even though we read an article from New York Times in this last Yeah. Episode. Well, if you're looking for something a little different, go check sure. that out. Uh, Gons, you still plugging away on Face Like the Sun there? I am, yeah. I'm actually... Uh, well, still working on Age of Deceit 3, so that's that's in the works. Uh, oh, boy. Yeah, it's, oh, it's going to take a little bit of time just because that kind of thing, it it, it just takes time, man. It it's, doesn't come together as quickly as you'd like, but uh, uh-huh. yeah, it's it's working and, you know, uh, appreciate all the supporters there, uh, people sharing my videos and whatnot. And, um, you know, it's weird. I, I've recently been talking a little bit about cryptocurrencies and whatnot, and some people are you know, totally turned off by that, but you know, my channel, so I can talk whatever I want. And so I'm going to keep doing that. Um, it's but a you, party, know, you can crypto if you want to. Well, here's the deal. You know, I'm not a financial advisor. I'm not anything like that, but I had a video where I was trying to give a particular company. This is a company that's actually trying to help, you know, sort of solve a problem. Um, you know, with all the hacking and all the identity theft and everything else, there's a company out there that's trying to decentralize the way that stuff works. And so that's what I pointed out. And people were like, oh, you're shilling for, you know, you're trying to pump and dump and you're trying to, you're totally sold out on the beast system. And it's like, yeah, you're a beast people, system. People don't get it. I thought beast I thought, system bonanza. <laughs> yeah. But, okay. uh, yes. Yes. Channel is going. How about you? Very is, good. Uh, Go check it conspiracy theory. Uh, Still yeah, pumping. everybody, if you haven't done it yet, go check out the Joy Spiracy Theory. You can find it on your uh, podcatcher there, or you can go to the joyspiracytheory.com. Uh, we've just been rolling the past uh, month or two. We, we're up to episode, I believe, 25. And if you're looking for just a nice and easy time uh, listening to and engaging with people's stories and how they came to found Christ and how they came to found to find joy in this crazy world, even after being awake to all the scary things that are going on. I mean, there's you can hear the testimony of, of any, any old Christian any day, but really the journey of waking up to uh, you know, things like the New World Order and biblical prophecy and things like that, that's its, that's its whole other testimony and uh, it can really have an effect. So if you are looking for another podcast to add to your listening pleasure, hey, why don't you check out the Joy Spiracy Theory? It's, yeah. it's going to be it's going to be good for your soul. Are you ever going to do any social media type stuff with that or do you uh, are you just sticking to the Facebook? Right now, just doing the Facebook. Uh, what, what do you do? You have suggestions, Gons? I mean, there's other stuff out there, Steam it and whatnot. I, I only bring it up just because I've been using Twitter a lot more recently. Uh-huh. Like I finally kind of got it. I'm like, oh, that's how Twitter works. Um, <laughs> but then a I'm late I, to the party there. I'm like a decade late, but I'm discovering that there are a lot of people because, you know, you can kind of stick in the, inside of your echo chamber and think that like, oh, everyone's awake now. This is great. Everyone has figured out what's going on. But then you, I, I went on Twitter and it was like, oh my gosh, there are a lot of people. Um, Look at all these sleeping people. Well, not just sleeping, <laughs> not just sleeping people in the kind of like the arrogant sense of like, oh, they're all asleep, but more so like, wow, there's a lot more diversity of views. And especially right now, things are just out of control, wacky. Like it, it's yeah. crazy. I, I, I didn't realize how insanely divided everyone is. It's, it's out of control. Yeah, well, welcome to the party. Um, yeah, maybe I'll have to check out the Twitters. I don't know. Yeah, it you'll, seems you'll like get a, 
Seems like a lot of work, but it's, I'll give it a try. Yeah, it's just, it turns you into a troll. You'll get riveting <laughs> tweets from me like, is it hashtag take honey or hashtag take the knee? Or did I just totally Mandela effect? Those are the kinds of awesome tweets that I send out. Wow, that's really good. That's really <laughs> something. I can't miss out on that. What's your, what's your uh, Twitter handle? We it's haven't, we've never at, advertised Twitter handles. Before. I know. That's yeah. It's at Face Like the Sun. So All right. Pretty easy. Just keeping keeping that brand, <laughs> keeping the uh, the brand going there. Perfect. Okay. Well, anything else, Guns? I think we can let these people go. Them get on. You guys just want to hang out for a little while. <laughs> I think most people do want to hang out. Uh, I, I, I gotta get going though. I don't know. I know you got a baby. <laughs> I got cats. We got stuff we gotta take care of, man. <laughs> I know. I like that. I like that. The other day in, in conversation off the air, you tried to convince me that your cat, taking care of your cat, is just precisely like taking care of a human. Oh, child. it's ex- it's exactly the same. <laughs> Especially when you have two of them. I've basically got two kids over here. I'm raising myself. It's a hard life out there, single dads. The hard <laughs> life. Cat dads. Yeah. <laughs> that's going to that's be the next thing. Instead of the cat lady, it's going to be yeah. the crazy cat dudes. It's the single cat dads. Um, <laughs> all right, everybody. Thanks for listening to uh, this episode of Canary Cry Radio. Make sure to tune in next week. But until you do, think outside the cage. <laughs> <laughs>